We've got a, a big day at our church here. We're going to be talking about grace and your parents. Uh, probably the hardest message in this entire series on grace and the family to give is this message of grace and your parents. And some of you are thinking, no way, Jamie. I mean, come on, you did grace in marriage. You did grace when the marriage has fallen apart. Tim did grace in kids and then grace in being a grandparent. How, how, can, be, how can grace and your parents be all that difficult? It is. I want you to think about the diversity that exists out of the 5,000 people that will worship with us today in our five services here at Scottsdale Bible. Think of the diversity that exists among the parents that we have had, and you will see what a tall order it is to talk about how to give grace to our parents. In other words, some of you here today had parents that were just awesome. You had parents that were awesome. Most all of your memories are positive. You had family dinners, summer vacations, church, late night talks. Your parents were there for you, loving when needed and stern when needed. You just had great parents. And so you're interested in this idea of grace and your parents because you want to give back to them now just a portion of what they blessed you with all these years. But then think about it. There's others of us here today who have had or have parents that were just so-so. They were driven or they were emotionally unavailable, or they were wrapped up in their own interests, or maybe because of their parenting, they were just unable to be the kind of parents that some of your friends had. And they did what they could, and you survived intact, but they were okay parents at best. And so you're somewhat interested in how to give grace to them. If you and I were having a cup of coffee, you'd say, well, Jamie, I want to give some grace to them, but let's not go overboard because nobody's giving them a relational Pulitzer for how they parented me. You get the idea. And then there's even some of you here today, and this is what makes this message so complex, who had downright failed, failing kind of parents. You had parents that failed. I mean, they were abusive. They were not much involved in your life. And outside of providing a roof and a home, nobody is nominating them for any kind of award when it comes to how they raised their kids. I remember reading a novel a few years back, not a novel, it was a biography, Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt. Some of you might have read it. Frank was a high school teacher, public school teacher in New York City, and he wrote his autobiography of growing up in Ireland, and the title of the book, Angela's Ashes, said it all because his mom was just an awful mom, and there's no other way to put it. And she ruined their entire family with a lot of her addictions, and it was out of her ashes, that's the point of the book, that he was able to make something of his life. But you get done with the book, and it's just depressing to think of somebody being raised in a family like that. Some of you can relate. So we got lots of different kinds of parental experiences here this morning. A lot of diversity and variety in this room here today. And so the simple topic of grace and your parents is not only a tall order, but I got to tell you, it looked a lot better on paper six months ago than it did the last couple of weeks in putting this together. And yet I have some help and I got some really good help. Because God himself had a son. God himself sent his son to this earth. His name was Jesus. And Jesus had some own parents, his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. And what we're going to do in our time remaining here this morning, believe it or not, I am going to pray. Some of you are thinking, he forgot to pray. No, I didn't. It's all part of the plan. This is all prelude. What I'm going to do after I pray here is walk you through three things that Jesus did with his parents in order to honor them, to show grace to them. Three ways, some of them tough, some of them tender, that Jesus did with his parents to show grace to them. He's a great teacher of that for you and for me. So with that said, let's bow right now and let's pray. 
Father, there is a lot of complexity when it comes to the family today, uh, especially in our country, Lord. There's a lot of things that have gone wrong, wrong, a lot of wheels have come off. And so, Lord, we're dealing with things like divorce and dysfunctionality and, and kids that aren't turning right, out right how we planned. And God, just a lot of difficulty in our family. And Lord, as we tackle this topic today of this idea of grace and our parents, Lord, for some of us, this is difficult as well. Because, Lord, we're wrestling with how do we show grace to parents that didn't always show us grace? Or how do we show grace to, folk, to quite frankly, parents that might not deserve it? Or, Lord, even for those of us who are raised in great homes, how do we show grace in such a way that would really be meaningful to our moms and dads? And most importantly, Lord, how do we show grace now that we're adults and on our own to our parents as they age? And so, God, I pray that as we look at the life of Jesus right now and some of the patterns that he set for us, that, God, you'd help us to see that you'd help us understand, that you'd help us, Lord, then to live the things that he has shown us. May we do that by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So three things, three things that flow from the very real-life experiences that Jesus had with his parents that let you and me know how to do the same. And the first thing that Jesus shows us about grace and our parents is that you show grace when you honor them. This is the starting point. You show grace when you honor them. And the key part of that principle there, folks, is going to be what do we mean by honor? We're going to get to that in just a second here, but what do we mean by honor? Now, this is most clearly seen in one of the first recorded adult interactions that Jesus had with his parents. So if you brought a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is one of the first adult interactions that Jesus had with his parents. If you didn't bring a Bible, look up here on the screen. This is how the story reads. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to, his mo- and, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then, as we all know, Jesus goes on to perform his first recorded miracle. He turns water into wine. So catch what is going on here, folks. Jesus and his mother are at a wedding. And like most good Jewish weddings back then, they were celebrating with a lot of wine. And they must have had like a lot of recent college grads there, a bunch of country club members who drink a lot of wine because they ran out. And you just need to know that a Jewish wedding running out of wine would be like a bowling alley running out of bowling balls. I mean, that was a big deal back then to run out of wine. That was their main beverage. It was why they were celebrating. It's what they use in many ways to celebrate. And so they run out of wine. Now, pause there. When they run out of wine, Mary makes it clear to Jesus that they had run out of wine. And what you need to know is that she knew who he was. The angel had told her this before his birth. She had watched him grow. She knew about his miracle working ability. So she's basically saying to Jesus, when they have run out of wine, this is a highly embarrassing situation, Jesus. Our host has run out of wine. And the clear implication here is for Jesus to use his miracle working powers and to do something about this situation until, before it escalates into something worse. And what Jesus says to her at this point is very interesting. You want to dial into this. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. 
Gary Wills is a Greek scholar from John Hopkins University, and he points out in his book what Jesus meant, that this phrase that Jesus uses here is actually a Hebrew idiom that most literally put means this, what to me and to you, woman? Let me repeat that. And most literally put, this phrase is, what to me and to you, woman? That's Jesus' response to Mary's request here. And so what this idiom means simply is Jesus saying, what does this have to do with you and me? In other words, Jesus is saying, don't be so codependent here, mom. This is not our problem. This has nothing to do with us and our family. I'm not ready yet to reveal my identity by performing a bunch of miracles, so chill out and let sleeping dogs lie. That's essentially what Jesus is saying to Mary here. And yet his mom thinks otherwise, like so many moms do, and she's not going to argue with Jesus about it. And so she simply asserts her motherly authority, turns to the attendant, and says, do whatever he tells you, which is her way of telling Jesus that whether he wants to or not, she wants him to do something and that he should do something about this. Now, folks, if you're tracking with me so far in all of this, let us not forget that this is no ordinary kid, right? I mean, this is the Son of God, the maker and the creator of the universe, come to redeem all people, including Mary, from their sins. And he's not even a kid anymore. He's now a man. And so, really, when you think about it, who has the authority in this situation, Jesus or Mary? Jesus. Uh, Some of you really waffled on that one. Let me ask that again. He's the son of God. He's come to redeem us of all of our sins. So who really has the authority in this situation? Jesus does. And yet what's fascinating (coughs) is that he doesn't use or assert his authority here. In fact, he does the opposite. He acquiesces to his mother's wishes. He fixes the problem at hand. He turns water into wine when he just said that he didn't want to do that. And he did so to solve the problem and to please his mother. In other words, don't miss this, he honors her. He listens to her. He respects her. He shows grace to her through honoring her wishes. And one of the things that the commentators on this passage point out is that what Jesus is doing here is modeling for you and me the fifth commandment. Do you remember it from the Old Testament? It's Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, when it says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I said to you earlier that what we need to do is really kind of unpack that word honor. Because when I'm suggesting to you that we need to show honor to our parents, whether they were great parents or so-so parents or even really bad parents that we're all called to show honor to them, we really need to dig down on what that means to honor. And and so looking at Deuteronomy 5.16 here, I want you to notice that that word honor here is the Hebrew word kabod. And it comes from a root word in the Hebrew that literally means, and this is really important, to give weight to. That's what this word means, to give weight to. It carries with it the idea that you value something so strongly that it carries weight with you and that it's something that weighs heavily on your life in terms of your involvement, attention, respect, and care. And so used in the context of one's parents then, it simply means to give weight to your relationship with them. 
That's what honor means, to give weight to that relationship, such weight that you take seriously what they ask you, you take seriously your relationship with them as son or daughter, and yet you prioritize your mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual energies in that direction. And it's interesting, there's no age cutoff point ever mentioned for this commandment. In fact, it's the opposite. We find Jesus chastising the Pharisees for not living this commandment, even as adults for their aging parents. And as we've seen, even Jesus lived this commandment as an adult himself. And yet what is also very important for us to know is that as one Bible expert points out, there's two forms of this honoring. Now don't miss this, in the Bible. For children, honoring comes most significantly through obedience. That's why in Ephesians 6 and the book of Colossians, it says, children, obey your parents. So how does a child honor his or her parents? By listening to them and obeying them. But for adults, what most Bible experts point out is that the implied message now is that because you're an adult, you've left and you've cleaved and you're on your own, you honor your parents not through obedience, but through respect. And that's a significant difference. And that's going to be a huge difference for some of you who were raised with so-so parents or even not-so-great parents because God's no longer asking you to necessarily obey them and do everything that they say, but he is asking you, he's asking all of us to honor them by showing respect, care, and support more than anything else. And so how do you show grace to your parents? First and foremost, you honor them. You give weight to who they are and your relationship with them. And that's for everybody, no matter what kind of parents you might have had. A few years ago, John McCaslin of the Washington Times wrote a short piece about our then President George W. Bush. And in this article, he recounted a story that Bush's wife, Laura, had told him about how shortly after the then-president, George W., became president, they were visiting George's parents, George Sr. and his wife, Barbara Bush. And as they spent the night at their home, early the next morning, George W. woke up at about 6 a.m. and went downstairs for a cup of coffee. And as he sat there on the sofa talking with his parents, he put his feet up on the coffee table. And all of a sudden, Barbara yelled, put your feet down, to which George Sr. said, for goodness sake, Barbara, he's the president of the United States. <laughs> and Barbara didn't even blink when she responded, I don't care, I don't want his feet on my coffee table. And as Laura tells the story, it wasn't a millisecond later that her husband promptly removed his feet and did as his mother said, and as Laura says, and I quote, even presidents have to listen to their mothers. And I think that's true. I think that's true. I think that honoring your mother and father are true no matter who you are, no matter what circumstances you are in. It's a commandment given to you and I, and even Jesus shows us this in his life. And so what does this mean for you and me today? I think it means that when your parents ask you to come over and help around the house, you honor them. I think it means that when you're asked to prioritize family gatherings, you honor them. I think it means that when your parents need help getting to a doctor's appointment, you honor them. I think it means when it comes to a birthday or an anniversary for your parents and it's time for a card or a present, you honor them. Or maybe even hitting closer to home, I think it means that when they give some unwanted advice, and I don't know, I just think parents sometimes will give unwanted advice, advice every now and then, 
whether you're going to heed it or not, because again, now you're an adult, you're not a child, whether you're going to heed it or not, you honor them in how you receive that advice from them and you thank them for their wise and learned inputs. I have practiced that phrase over the years. Let me repeat it. You thank them for their wise and learned input. I remember asking my dad a while back if I should go to this particular church I was looking at that I ended up actually going to. And uh, he said to me, I wouldn't touch that church with a 10-foot pole. I wouldn't go to that church. Here's my 20 reasons why. My dad's a lawyer and all that, and he gave me his best thing. But I really sensed that God was leading Kim and I to that church, and in hindsight, he was right. And so when I got done listening to my dad, I didn't say, look, old man, you're all wet. You don't know the Lord. Why did I even ask you in the first place? I didn't say any of that. I said to him, thank you, Dad, for your wise and learned advice. Because that's what you and I do in honoring our parents, even when they give us advice that we might not be willing to heed. Please hear this, folks. It doesn't always mean, mean doing what they say. That's obedience, and that's for kids. But what it does mean is that you give weight to what your parents say and do. You consider them and respect them. It's honor. And so even if you disagree with them, even if you're not going to do all that they say, you do so with an air of deference and respect. It's how we honor our parents, and it's a powerful way to show and give grace as God wants us to. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, but you don't get it, Jamie. I mean, that's fine for a pretty normal family. It might even be fine for one of those families that had so-so parents, but I come from a really dysfunctional family. My parents at best were so-so, and at worst they were actually those failure parents that you mentioned, and many times their demands are so unrealistic and crazy that even Billy Graham would lose patience with them. So what do you do with that? And it's a good question, and quite frankly it's a question that I wrestle with a lot in my pastoral ministry over the last 20 years. And believe it or not, folks, this is a question that I believe Jesus dealt with on more than one occasion because he both teaches and models for us something that we can do when our parents are not exactly living in the realm of rationality and even relationality. And it's point two today, and some of you are going to like this, but we've got to be careful with this truth, and that is that you show grace to your parents when you speak truth to them. It's true. Jesus is going to show us this in multiple ways. We further show grace to our parents, not just through honoring them, but also through speaking truth to them. If you don't believe me, I want you to look at an interchange between Jesus and his family that takes place not too long after that wine or water to wine scenario. It's recorded in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 to 21. So if you have a Bible, flip over to Luke there. If not, again, you can look up here on the screen. It says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, Jesus' ministry is in full swing here. There's lots of people coming to hear him and to seek him and to experience his miracles. And Mary and Jesus' brothers are simply trying to get to him. But they can't. 
And the reason is simple. There's just too many people there. And so they send word through the crowd that they're there with the implicit message being, pave a way for us to get to see you. We're your mother and brothers for crying out loud. It'd be kind of like if you had a family member who was a famous stage actor and you went behind the stage to see them after the play, but there was a guard there and you couldn't get in. You'd say, hey, I'm a relative. Let me in. And most likely the guard would let you in. A similar scenario to this. And yet instead of saying, oh, it's my mom, send her through, Jesus within earshot of his mother and brothers says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, folks, can we all agree that this is a vastly different message than the one he sent earlier at the wedding? Give me a head nod that you get that, that Jesus has switched gears here. Because before he didn't want to do something, it wasn't even part of his kingdom ministry, but he decided to do it to show honor and deference to his mom, thus modeling for you and I what that looks like. But now here, this is even more of a simple thing. It doesn't even involve a miracle. All he has to do is let them through so that they can be in relationship with him again. And he gives this hard-punching truth to them right in this setting here. I mean, you got to believe, and I have no evidence for this, but I just know human nature, that that Mary at least might have been initially hurt and angry about this, right? I mean, just think about how any normal human being would respond. She's got to be thinking, wait till I get home to tell Joseph about this one. Wait till I get home to tell your father about this. And now some of you are Bible savvy, say Joseph is dead by now, but you have no evidence of that. We, we believe that he is dead by the time that Jesus' crucifixion comes around because there is no Joseph in the picture at all then. But we don't know when he actually died. And so he might be alive still at this point. But either way, well, I think Mary is thinking, you know, whatever happened to the honor bit that you displayed so well at the wedding, Jesus? I mean, whatever happened to Deuteronomy 5 verse 16? Go ahead and see if these new brothers and sisters of yours are going to feed you. See if they're going to do your laundry. See if they're going to stick with you through thick and thin. I wouldn't be surprised if Mary at least felt some of those things. And yet notice that the reason that Jesus doesn't do this, doesn't let them in, is because he has a different agenda here. And it's still a grace agenda. Don't miss that. It's just that it's a grace agenda that is giving the gift of truth to his parents and to his brothers. Please see this. He is teaching his followers here and his family as well that the kingdom of God takes priority over all things, even the family. And that when it comes right down to it, every follower of Jesus, everybody who hears the word of God and lives it is part of a huge community now in which a bond is developed that is stronger than even the bond of blood. That's what Jesus is communicating here, a truth that you and I should know by now. It's a truth about the kingdom and the power of Christian community, a truth, by the way, that is going to serve Mary so well after Jesus dies when he asks John to take care of her. Remember that story? And she's going to go, oh my gosh, I see that now because I'm part of a bigger community. And Jesus even made made it so that somebody would be taking care of me after he was gone. Please don't miss this. Jesus is giving his family here the gift of truth. And though it was hard for them to hear, it was truth nonetheless. And truth by its very nature always leads to freedom and joy. And I quickly mentioned to you that Jesus, this is not an isolated instance, that Jesus does this on more than one occasion. 
I mean, in Luke chapter 9, somebody says, hey, can I say goodbye to so-and-so before I come follow you? And he says, no, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. In Luke 11, somebody says, blessed is the womb, you know, of, the, of whoever bore you, referring to Mary. And he says, nah, blessed more are those who are my followers. Uh, and then in, in Luke chapter 18, some guy says, you know, I, I left my parents for the, for the kingdom of God. And he said, nobody who's left their parents for the kingdom of God is going to get anything less than many more times blessings than you have now. And then that famous passage in Matthew 8, <laughs> where a guy says, you know, I want to become a follower of you, Jesus. But you know what? My dad just died. And I'd like to, you know, give him a decent burial. Do you guys remember what Jesus said there? He says, let the dead bury their own dead. Come and follow me. Meek, mild Jesus. What's he doing in all those situations? He's giving people a dose of truth, hard truth that they need to hear. And he's not dissing the family. He's not saying, don't be committed to your parents. He's already seen the honors as parents. But one of the ways that we also honor them and show grace to them is not to shy away from truth. Not the least of which is the truth about the kingdom of God. And the point is clear, folks. Sometimes the most grace-filled thing that you and I can do with those around us that we love, including our parents, is give them the gift of truth. And yet I plead with you to make sure it's truth wrapped in love, truth wrapped in respect, and truth wrapped in honor. You know, this has been a lesson that has come very difficult for me over the years. I'm going to share personally right now with you. I uh, was raised in what I would consider, in hindsight now, a, a very, very good home. My dad was a tough man, kind of the parenting of the, the 50s and 60s, but in hindsight, I know that he loved me, even though it was my mother who always told me that he loved me. You guys remember those days, you know, your father loves you very much. He just doesn't really say it often. Never, Mom, but anyways, let's not go down that road. So I know my dad did love me, and, uh, and since then he's told me he's proud of me and all that other stuff. But, but he was at all my sports games. We had dinner at home every night. We took wonderful family vacations. I mean, in so many ways, I was blessed growing up. And yet, in my early 20s, when I first became a Christian and was starting to really formulate my own worldview now, a Christian worldview, I went through a period of time where I was evaluating my family of origin. And let's just say that I was dealing with some of the difficult things that you do when evaluating your family of origin, and even some anger and frustration at certain ways that I was raised. My dad was kind of an angry dude growing up, as many men are. And he used his anger a lot to control his kids. And I was kind of resenting that in my early 20s. And so as I was going through all of this, I, I decided that what I needed to do was speak truth to my parents because the pastor told me I needed to, right? I needed to speak truth to them as a way of honoring them. And I learned early on that there's a couple different ways to speak truth. There's a nice, loving, kind way to speak truth. And then there's more of a, a personal, angry, even vengeful way to speak truth. And in the early days of me trying to speak truth to my dad, I certainly didn't do it in a loving and kind way. I can remember once sending him a letter. It's like seven pages long. And I was in my first pastor at night. For like six and a half pages, I told him all the things that he did wrong in raising me and how it made me feel and all this other stuff. And then on the seventh page, I said, but you know, I pray for you every day. I love you and I hope you come to Jesus, Jamie. <laughs> and I thought to myself in hindsight years later, that probably was not the most loving way to communicate truth to my dad. Now, here's what you need to know. My dad is not the kind of guy that rolls over and takes stuff like that easily. Not at all. And so if you think my dad was a wallflower at that time, you got it wrong. Every time I came back at him, he'd come back at me. And it was very tense for my mom. 
And so we were going at it for about three or four years. But I'll never forget one day around the mid-1990s, I had sent my dad another one of my very uh, truthful but not so loving letters, and he sent me a letter back. And when I opened it up, this letter basically said something to this effect, though I'll give you a direct quote here in a minute. It basically said to the effect of, Jamie, we're not getting anywhere with this. All we're doing is sparring back and forth, but there's no movement for a few years. And then he said this. He said, I'm not going to change, and I'm sure you're not going to change either. And he said, so some way we need to find a way to move ahead together, or we're just not going to have a relationship. And then he said this, and this is the quote. He said, the best way for us to do this is to learn to walk sensitively around the issues. And that phrase jumped off the page at me. To learn to walk sensitively around the issues. And it was like a light went on in my head. I thought, he's exactly right. I have a choice right now. If I'm going to remain in relationship with my dad, whether I get through all of my childhood issues or not, I got to learn to realize that only God can change him and that he might not ever change and he thinks the same about me and that the reality is is that we need to learn to walk sensitively around the issues or we're not going to have any kind of meaningful and good relationship. You know, Peter says the same thing in his letter. He says, always be prepared to give a defense for the truth that you have, but do so with what? Do you guys remember it? With gentleness and respect. In other words, my dad was pleading, asking for the same thing that the Bible tells me that I should do, and that is to communicate truth, but communicate it sensitively, or as my father would say, walking sensitively around the issues. And folks, that's what I've learned over the years, that yes, it's okay to speak truth to your parents, even your own personal truth, even God's truth, but we need to do so with honor and respect. And I just got to tell you, 15 years later, As many of you know, I fly in quarterly to see my parents all the way to the Cleveland, Ohio area because it's part of my commitment when I came here. And my dad and I still go at it about spiritual things every single visit. And now that he has a different political persuasion than I do, we won't even go there. We go on at a political level. And so my poor mom has to sit there and listen to my dad and I go at it for the first three hours that we're together. And we're only together for 24 hours. And yet I catch myself probably every other visit when I saw myself getting a little hot under the collar. I find myself remembering, walk sensitively around the issues. Keep the relationship intact, Jamie. It's not worth sabotaging the relationship just to get your point across. Folks, we can share truth. It's just how we share the truth that matters. Let's walk sensitively around the issues with our parents. Now, we're fast running out of time. We've got just a few minutes before we need to go to the communion table. But I want you to notice one final way that Jesus showed grace to his parents. And this is point three this morning. So you got the idea that we need to honor them and speak truth to them. But then you also show grace when you tangibly care for them, especially as they get older. You tangibly care for them. I mentioned to you earlier, I'm not going to read the text, but I want you to look up later John 19, verses 25 to 27. Because Jesus, when he's on the cross, when he's thinking about dying for the sins of the whole world, actually considers his mother. Do you guys remember the story? Give me a click. At least show the scripture here. He he, he remembers his mother. And at one point, oh, that's not there. That's perfect. And at one point, as he's on the cross there, he, he, he looks to John and he says, woman, behold your son. And then he says to John, we assume it's John here, behold your mother. And it says from that hour, John, the disciple, took this woman as his own and cared for his own mother. And so don't miss what is going on there. 
Jesus is ensuring the care of Mary even after he is gone. He tangibly cared for his mother. And we've got to believe that if Joseph was in the picture, he would have done the same for him. The scriptures put such a high premium on the fact that we need to care for our aging parents. It's really hard hitting what they say. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 4 and 8. You can't wiggle out of this. It says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, if that wasn't in Scripture, I couldn't get away with reading that. Isn't that true, Daryl? I mean, if I just came up with that on my own and said, hey, I just got to tell you guys here today that as your parents get older, I don't care how good or bad of a job they did, if you don't care for them, you are worse than an unbeliever, you guys would say, Jamie, you're wrong. You'd say you're overstating it for the sake of effect, Jamie. That can't be true. That's too much. I mean, why would you call me an unbeliever just because I don't care for my parents? I don't know, but God does that in his word. Are you all seeing that? That's not me. If you don't believe it, take it up with God. But God is the one who has said in his word that we need to care for our parents and and tangibly care for them, especially as they age. And if we don't, if we expect the government to do it or somebody else to do it or what have you, then we're worse than an unbeliever. And again, I don't know what this means for you. I mean, this might mean many things for many people. But all I know is that when you apply this truth positively, it is a profound and powerful thing. I've asked my mom if I could share this email that she wrote me back in 2006 with you guys, and she gave me permission to do it. And I've asked my dad, too, by the way, if I could share the story I told earlier, and he gave me permission to do that, too. So if some of you are thinking of writing me saying, you know, you shouldn't have shared that story, my dad and my mom have signed off on all this that I'm sharing. One of my mom's great fears is that as she ages is that she'd be put in a nursing home. Some people don't mind being put in a nursing home, but for my mother, that is, for various reasons, a great fear that she has. And so for her, that's a terrifying core terror that she has when it comes to aging, that my dad would die first and that we put her in a nursing home. And when I was with her about five years ago and she was sharing that fear with me, I just knee-jerk response, and I meant it with everything in me. I was in Cleveland at that time, but now I'm here in Scottsdale. I said to her, I said, Mom, you need to know that if something happens to Dad and you don't want to be in a nursing home, I said, then you're with us. I said, there's just no question about it. Oh, honey, you don't have enough room. We'll build an addition. You, you know, you're, you're busy with life. We'll slow down. I said, you're my mom. I, I said, I, I'd even do it for dad. That'd be another story, but I'd do it for dad. <laughs> I, and my dad said, my dad yelled from the other room, I don't want it. But anyways, <laughs> but I said, mom, I do this for you in a heartbeat. I said, I said, you're my mom. And I said, case closed. I said, you got two other choices. I got a brother and a sister. If you'd rather live with them, that's fine. But you never have to be alone. She wrote me an email a couple days later, and at one point in the email, she said, I appreciate more than you know yours and Kim's interest, concern, and genuine love about my future. I can't tell you what it means to be cared for and about by your own children as you face the uncharted road ahead. It alleviates so much anxiety and makes the road much less lonely. I think, as I've seen in my own work, my mom works for hospice. She says that loneliness is one of the biggest challenges of old age. And I called her and said, you're never going to be lonely. You're never going to be lonely. I'm your son, and you're my mom, and I will care for you. Uh, Folks, that's the picture that God gives us in his word, Uh, that as we deal with our parents, one of the ways we show grace 
is to make sure that they're cared for. And again, you need to fill in the gaps for your own life on what that means. I, I'm not here to tell you that people shouldn't be in nursing homes. I'm not here to tell you that, that we all need to build an addition on our home. I mean, that, that, that's for you to work out in your own personal circumstances. Don't hear me saying that. But the scripture does give us the principle. And that is that we need to care for our parents until they move on, until they die. It's part of our commitment to them. It's how we show grace to them. It's inarguable in the scriptures. So give me one more click here, guys. Here's a recap of where we've gone today. And I love these truths from the scriptures. I keep going here. And that is that we're here to show grace to our parents. And we show grace through honoring them. No longer always obeying everything they say. That's the truth there. But to honor them through respect and care. We show grace by speaking truth to them. Truth always couched in love. Walking sensitively around the issues. And then we show grace by tangibly caring for them whatever that might mean in our own situations. All I know is that if you show grace this way to your parents, God will enter into that scenario and do what only he can do. We're going to go to the communion table. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for once again your word, which gives us livable, realistic, uh, if not difficult at times, truth to live by. And Father, I thank you for the life of Jesus in which he modeled for us all three of these things. He honored his mom. He also spoke truth to his mom. And then, Lord, he tangibly cared for his mom. And God, I pray today that as we ruminate this in our, with our own lives, no matter what kind of parents we had, Lord, would help us have wisdom and discernment and how we can apply this in our own lives. How we as well can show honor and care and even truth to our parents. Give us wisdom. Give us tender hearts. We want to follow you and honor you in all that we say and do. So receive this worship now at the communion table, we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.